last week we started a new series called Organic. Um, and uh, we said that we're going to go through the pastoral epistles. That word means letters that Paul wrote to his friends, really his, um, his protégés or his students in ministry. Their names are Timothy and Titus. They were pastors in other places, and Paul corresponds with them. And uh, after training them somewhat in ministry and releasing them to minister, he's now reaching out to them a few years after their positions to be able to make sure that they are on the correct path. So he helps them with issues that they're facing in the churches and the cities that they pastor. Um, in the first message last week, we talked about false teachers. We talked about how to spot one um, and how to guard against them infiltrating the church. I have actually met uh, several people who had good intentions or the best of intentions, but they were absolutely unequivocally wrong in the way that they approached a certain place in scripture or a certain passage or a certain point. Uh, they love God with all their heart and they didn't have devious or evil intentions, but uh, they did communicate it in such a way that it started leading people down a different path. So we want to be careful when it comes to the teaching that we hear and accept into our lives. Um, you know, we, we're going to cover something today that has been controversial in times past, and it's still controversial today, but I hope to help set the record straight. This would not be my first time to do so, um, but the title of my message is Hot Potato, okay? <laughs> um, hot Potato. How many of you remember playing that as a kid, okay? And all the children, yes, you played it as well. Um, for us grown-ups, it's been a while since we've played hot potato, unless it's a legitimate hot potato we just pulled out of the oven and we're like, ah, and put it back on the stove for a minute to cool it off. Otherwise, you get the idea and the concept of the game. It's basically you take, uh, <laughs> there's some explanation going on. You take a potato in the old days, or you take a balloon, or a Lego, or a doll, or whatever it is that you want to, and you sit in a circle and you pass it around to music. When the music stops, whoever's caught with the potato is out. Okay, they're out of the game. It's kind of like the idea of musical chairs. So I guess what I'm trying to say, and you say, what an interesting way to start a message, Pastor. Um, we've all played this game of hot potato, but I really think that Christians and churches actually play hot potato too. And what we do is we avoid some harder topics or controversial passages in Scripture because we may not understand them fully. It may be a little bit confusing when we come across them. Or we may not talk about them in certain circles because we're scared it's going to hurt someone's feelings or maybe even under the guise of inclusion. We want to include everybody, so let's not read that passage of Scripture and talk about it. But how many of you know your pastor ain't scared? Okay, your pastor ain't scared. Um, I was a little hesitant, though. I got to be honest. Going into this passage of Scripture for what we're going to talk about today, there, there is an opportunity I have to pick what I talk about. I, I believe the Holy Spirit leads me, but there are times that I say, nah, let's go this direction instead. And I really felt like the Holy Spirit challenged me 
um, to go ahead and not skip this message, but to really, I had this thought in my head, which was, if we don't talk about it, who will? And if we don't talk about it here, when will we find out the truth? And if you're left to discover the truth on your own without some guidance and proper understanding, then we really do run into problems. So we find ourselves in week two, if we just are left to our own devices, probably falling prey to week one, which was false teaching. So today we're combating some false teaching that has been a part of church ministry for a long time. And I hope to tackle this difficult issue um, today with some finesse, but to really help us understand what God's word says about it. So you say, Pastor, what is it? Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to say this, and it's not just the whole comical statement of your pastor ain't scared to handle hard topics, but I want to say this as well. I really believe that there is a cost that we have to pay when we don't handle the topics that are challenging and hard. I think that cost is evident inside the church when we don't talk about the stuff that needs to be talked about. And I think there's also a cost in society at large uh, when we don't do like the old timers used to say, and I don't know if you were raised like I was, but I remember hearing old preachers say, preach the full counsel of God. What do they mean when they say something like that? Well, they meant something, and that something was preach the full gospel message. Preach every page. Don't skip it because you need it all, even the weird parts. Amen? All right, so you're in First Timothy 2. Say amen. amen. Okay, good. All right, let's look at First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. I want to hear you engage with me today. So when I say, say all, I want you all to say all. Okay, you ready? Say all. All All people. Verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Go back. Verse 2. His instruction to Timothy is to pray for kings and all in high positions. I've said this during every presidential cycle since I've been given the gift of a platform, and that is this. Don't just pray them out or pray them in, but pray they get saved. You need to pray. You failed to pray and sinned if you did when your candidate wasn't in office. Amen? So you need to pray for for the president and vice president Regardless of what they say and what they do, what policies they pass, they are to be prayed for. This is a commandment in Scripture that many of us do not obey um, like we should. Maybe we get on our knees during the election cycle, but then after that, we just kind of feel like, well, they got in, so it is what it is, and hopefully this four years will pass really quick. 
Can I talk with you about this for a minute? (laughs) So you've got to understand the encouragement of Scripture there is that we are to pray for them. And it says there's a benefit. When you pray for them, you get to lead a peaceful and quiet life. So if you think there are challenges to your peace and your quiet life in this world today as a result of those who hold high positions, then pray for them. Amen? It's easy to get mad about what they might say and do. The bigger challenge is to actually pray for them. So do it. So let me give you some context, okay? At this time that Paul is writing to Timothy, Timothy is the pastor of a church, or rather an entire city, and it is the city of Ephesus. You can find another letter in Scripture in the New Testament called Ephesians. It was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. You can find references to Ephesus throughout the New Testament, including the book of Revelation. When I went through our message series on the churches, the letters to the churches, there is one, and the letter to the church at Ephesus is in Revelation chapter 3 and 4. It's important for you to know that this city was a big city. In those days, it had 250,000 people estimated in its um, population. To give you a little Uh, gauge of what that would look like. You might not have seen that. Clinton has about 25 to 30,000 residents. So it's a large city. It's a port city and it would have been a melting pot of people. There would have been ships that were coming into port to sell their goods and all of those things. And then they would have been staying around or sticking around. So there's different languages, different ethnicities. There's all different types of walks of life that are there in Ephesus. And that meant that there was also a melting pot of religions. So there wasn't just Christianity that was new back then, but there was Judaism, which was an older religion. There would also have been all of the Greek religions and any breakoffs of them. How many of you have ever heard the name Zeus? Okay. It's a cool name for a big dog too. Okay. If you ever have a big dog, name it Zeus. Okay. Um, But we've heard the name Zeus that was in Greek mythology or in their understanding of religion. He was the God of all gods. And so he had children. His one son's name is Apollos. He is worshipped in other cities in that ancient time. We still have, you know, places after that name today. And his sister, not Zeus's sister, but Zeus's daughter was named Athena. Uh, No, sorry, Artemis, the Athena was her Greek given name, but she was a Greek goddess that would have been uh, worshipped in the city at Ephesus. And there was a giant temple that was made for the worship of Artemis. She was someone who you prayed to for fertility. Um, I will tell you, the images are disturbing from those Greek temples in that day of the things that they did to worship these gods. But this was a mainstay in the community where Timothy was preaching the gospel and trying to pastor people. So as we think about these things and go into a more controversial section, I want you to have that in context so it helps you understand what Paul is dealing with In this local church. Everybody say local. What does that mean? That means one. That means one place, one time. Okay, so let's look at verse 8. 
Paul says this, he says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And we'll break down each of these verses in a few minutes. Verse 9 says, Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, with gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now you say, okay, faster, I got it now. This is a controversial passage in scripture. But I, I just want to highlight something. If there are people, and I've known many of them, who single out a verse like, don't, I don't let a woman teach, let her learn by being quiet and submissive, and they harp on that, but they don't demand that every man in this audience today is sinning because they didn't raise their hands in worship, and that every woman who wears braids is a sinner, then they're getting something wrong. Hello, did you follow that train of thought? You can't just pull one out not and just totally ignore the context of the scripture and the passage of what's being dealt with and then say, ooh, this is the one I'm going to hold on to. So we're going to talk through what that looks like. Verse 8, men should set an example in worship. Just have these verses, Miss Christine, just on the screen and I'll call them out as we go, but we'll just do step by step. He says that he desires that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I don't know about you, but I've met a few men who have lifted their hands in anger and quarreling. But you know, I thought about today is Super Bowl Sunday. And I'm really sorry that I couldn't wear my Patriots jersey. <clears throat> but um, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting wholeness and healing today. <laughs> it's okay. And I hope I get revenge tonight. Go Kansas City. Okay, sorry. Um, but... Let's just move on. Let's just move on. Okay. Okay. Holy Spirit's back. Okay, here we go. So the idea that I, that I was thinking about, though, is, you know, I've heard from men before that they're not expressive. Well, just lifting my hands in worship, pastor, just seems like, doesn't seem very masculine. I don't know. Have you ever seen that funny video about the Christian comedian talking about how to praise and worship? And he's like, carry a big TV, carry a bigger TV. Tell them your fish was this big. Hold out your baby to let God hold your baby. You know, it's just really funny. The postures in worship. Y'all should look it up later. It's really funny. But Paul is emphasizing this, that men should pray. In other words, it's not just a woman's job. Hello? So, and I thought about that with the expressions in worship. Let me come to your house and eat your food, uh, and watch the football game with you when your team is playing its rival. And let me just see if there's some holy reverent silence. I have a feeling there'll be some expression. 
So, and I say, you know, that's kind of hard because it seems like we guilt as pastors, the men in football scenarios to, to worship more in church. Here's the deal. We worship God because he created us, he loves us, and he's leading us, and he's worthy of our worship. You don't have to twirl in a ballerina tutu, but you sure ought to show signs in your physical body that you are surrendered to the Lord. Amen? Okay, moving on. Verse 9, Paul says that women shouldn't adorn themselves in a way that draws attention. This is really important. Uh, I grew up in a conservative Christian home. I am currently living in a conservative Christian home of my own creation. Okay, And I believe that women should dress modestly. I absolutely believe that this is scriptural and it should be understood in that way. What Paul is getting to, this is something you may not be thinking of unless you study the word of God deeper. In the city of Ephesus, there were many women of high status who were there as a result of their husbands. And all they had to do was walk around in their jewels and their braided hair with their servants carrying their food. And then they decided, ooh, it's time for church. Let's go show up, ladies. And when they came in, it made the understanding of the gospel truth that God sees no distinction really hard. When they went and sat next to their buddies who were all dressed that way, but then the slave girls who were working in the marketplace who had just heard that there's a man named Jesus who died for their sins and rose from the dead to give them new life, it made it really hard to mix and mingle in that time. So when you see us on Facebook or if you come to our church and everybody in here, you're dressed nicely today, but I wouldn't say we have high fashion. I'm wearing jeans. I I try to dress it up with dress shoes um, each week, but I really, one of these days, I'm going to wear sneakers. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it like Pastor Cameron used to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be just as cool as him. But here's, here's the thing. That idea of, well, that's not your Sunday best. That's still around today. Whether or not you judge somebody like that or not, culturally speaking, people think, okay, I've got to, I've got to, this is the only day of the week I've got to tuck my shirt in. This is the only, I've got to brush off my shoes that I haven't worn all week and wear them today. There's nothing wrong with being presentable and dressing up a little nicer to come to church. The problem Paul is approaching is these women were going way far, all out, and there was a division that was happening within the church. God's okay if you put braids in your hair, okay? He's okay if you wear gold or pearls and costly attire. I really do believe that. I believe you should live within your means, but definitely you can enjoy the things in life. When you start to see a division created, though, you've got to be the one who unifies. So if unity means that I don't dress in a tuxedo, thank God, um, then I'm happy to help unify you, okay? That's the approach we should take. So don't be super showy, but also don't be provocative. Uh, there's, there is definitely some things going on in the city of Ephesus and the way they dressed in those days. And I, still today, you should understand this, women in the church, men are visual creatures. You can call us weak if you want to, but you got to help us out. 
Amen? Okay, moving on. So when we come to church, we need to limit distractions. That's really the idea behind this. That noticeable fashion difference uh, was, was evident because of the rich and the poor. And we need to see Paul emphasizing equality so that they didn't alienate anyone. Move on to verse 10. It's really simple. Instead of having the finest clothes and the finest jewels on you, you should wear good works. Now you say, how do you put on good works? Isn't, isn't Christianity about humility and humble? Yes, but essentially what he's saying is it's just a word picture for you to understand. Don't be so consumed or concerned with what's on the outside, but you better be rocking the good works in your life. You better be focused on those things. Verse 11 is where things get controversial. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. And verse 12 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So from what we can gather, and trust me when I say your pastor has studied and studied and studied this, There were issues in that church, in that local church in Ephesus, that were causing problems. One of the issues was with women who were verbally socializing, like during the church service. So if you can just imagine two well-to-do women coming and sitting together and being like, Oh, did you go to that party on Friday night? And they're hearing the message, but they're not really listening because they're socializing. Also, you've got to understand in those days and time, women were not, like females, were not invited into education the same way that they are today. You have equal access to education and go to school. In those days, they separated the boys and the girls. The boys started being educated at the age of seven years old, like actual education. And women just learned from mama whatever they learned for a long period of time. So I'm thankful we don't live in those days anymore. But you've got to understand if there were two poor girls who were servants who weren't well educated and the pastor said a word like conundrum, they said to each other, what is he talking about? What does that word mean? And they're having these conversations within the context of the actual worship gathering and it's causing a distraction. Are you following? So there's innocent chit-chat, or maybe it was even more devious, judgmental stuff of, ooh, can you believe she showed up looking like that? I mean, right? You've had that thought. That's why you're laughing. Okay, so Paul says that they need to be quiet and listen. We talked about the education aspect. They were less educated, and that is a failure of society then. And they had to deal with it in the church. So maybe they were confused. Maybe they were honestly asking questions like, what does this mean? But Paul is trying to give some structure. I love the Apostle Paul. Because by the Spirit of God, in nearly every church he dealt with, he gives some instruction to order. We've talked through it when we talk about the weird part in scripture that talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit that's manifested through speaking in tongues. And he says, don't let the whole church jibber jabber. What is going on? Y'all need to have some decency and order. So 
The command to be quiet and listen is a biblical one in both Old and New Testaments, and it's for men and for women. <laughs> Check out what James 1.19 says. It says, all people, say all. It says, all people should be quick to hear and slow to speak. That is one statement they will not put on my tombstone. <laughs> I try. I really do try. There are, right? And you feel the same way for yourself, maybe. Or you know someone who's like that. It is extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult. My wife will tell you it's extremely difficult for me. And I'll tell you it's extremely difficult for her. No, actually, it's easier. Well, I don't know if it's easier. She just does it better. How about that? She can listen and not interrupt. I can't do that as well. But there's a biblical mandate literally all throughout Proverbs and all throughout Scripture and in the New Testament that you being quick to hear and slow to speak is actually the great, a great thing or a great way to live. So verse 12, again, God's word is our guide all the way through this. Verse 12, he says he doesn't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. So this verse, taken out of context, has been used to support a demeaning and a misogynistic attitude towards women in ministry for generations. And I want to set it straight today and make sure that you understand what the Bible says and what you should believe. Not just church doctrine about how we feel about something, but what God's word actually says and means. First, I want you to listen to Galatians chapter 3. Paul, talking to the church in uh, Galatia, he writes this in verse 28. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. So, you can't tell me that Paul didn't believe this. He preaches this message throughout. And in fact, he essentially is saying that when you come to Christ, it doesn't matter what your race is, what your gender is, what your social economic background is. It doesn't matter what city you live in or have never visited. None of those things matter. God doesn't care what those things are. When you come to Christ, you become his possession. And then you've joined his family. And they're all from different places and different races and things. Uh, back to that whole gender thing, God created only two. Since we're talking about controversies, we might as well cover that too. God only created two. Man has created more. But none of the other stuff matters. How you got here, really, if you think about that, doesn't matter or where you're at status wise in your life when you come to Christ doesn't matter. What matters is that you come to Christ. Amen. So female spiritual leadership was not prohibited in Paul's day and it shouldn't be in today's day either. I want you to hear me because I'm going to show you some things and you can jot these down. Acts chapter 21, Romans chapter 16, Philippians chapter 4, 
all three of those places, Paul essentially encourages female spiritual leadership. It was not prohibited then, and it should not be prohibited now. There are only two passages in the entire New Testament that might seem to prohibit women in ministry. And these are two passages, one of which we just read in uh, 1 Timothy. The other one is in 1 Corinthians 14. Both of these churches had localized issues that Paul was addressing. He was not saying, nor, and I find it interesting, the language he uses when I said very clearly with emphasis, Paul's words to Timothy, I do not let or I do not allow Paul is being very clear that he did not say, and the Holy Spirit of God told me to tell you that you better never let. That's not what's happening. Paul is addressing a single issue in a single place, and he does it twice, to the Corinthian church and then to the church at Ephesus. But we've got to look at those two small passages along with all the other statements and practices in the New Testament. So those two passages can't end up being unequivocal prohibitions for women in ministry. They're dealing with specific issues at specific times in specific places. In fact, if you examine Paul's writings, I love this. If you really look at his ministry record and his writings, you will see that he consistently affirms spiritual leaders in the churches who are female. He does something that was common in those days, which is call them by name, greet them in the letters, and he thanks them for their roles in ministry. Some were creative and what we would call the creative art side of church and ministry. I can imagine they were making costumes and doing all sorts of stuff for whatever was going on at church. There were others who were women who were well-to-do, who were patrons of the church. Whenever there was a need, that need was supplied by these wealthy, well-off women who had the spirit of generosity. There are also those like Junia or Hunia, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, J-U-N-I-A, who was a leader. There was Priscilla who could be could be seen Priscilla and Aquila as a couple in ministry who were apostles and both preachers. So on and on the list goes where Paul is actually supportive and affirming their role in ministry. It's important to see what word Paul uses when he basically, and I say this in just casual terms, when he says, tell the women to be quiet. He's using a term called sagato, S-I-G-A-T-O. It's only ever used one other place in scripture, and that is exactly the example I gave you a moment ago about all of y'all need to shut up and not be talking at the same time. It's the only other context that that word or phrase is used. So basically, he's trying to give order to what has happened or happening in the services. And his word carries weight. When Timothy is able to get instruction through that word, but then not only that, but also share it with the church and say, the apostle called by God, Paul, has said to us that we really ought to examine scripture and look at this and we should do it this way, then that carried some weight. So it's only under specific circumstances that the church is receiving this message. 
Okay, let's look at verses 13 to 15 again. This might seem odd, and it is undoubtedly so, but I'm going to explain it to you today so that you fully understand it. Because there's some important highlights to give you at the end of this message. I'm going to give you six or seven things that really are not just the foundation, but hopefully a comprehensive look at what we believe the role of women is in ministry. And we base that on how we see women in life and in our faith. So let's look at verse 13. It says this, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So go back to verse 13 and leave that up, or rather 14, please. There's some evidence scholars have found that there is a false teaching Paul is addressing in the church those days at Ephesus. There were women who, uh, don't be, please don't throw anything at me, but what we would term in today's way, feminists back then, who were actually rewriting the story of creation to make Eve sound a whole lot better. They were worshiping This goddess in their city, Artemis, who is a goddess of fertility and all of these other things, they were praying to her to get pregnant, and then they were coming to find faith in Jesus Christ. There was all this weird mix of things happening, but there were those who were promoting something that was not biblically based that were saying, oh, and this new religion has this hero woman named Eve. And so they started talking about her and talking her up. And scholars have found evidence of that false teaching in those days in Ephesus. So now it makes a little bit more sense when Paul is saying, hey, have y'all read Genesis? Like, he's, he's not saying, hey, and don't you forget, it's the women who are weaker and they believe anything you'll tell them. So don't, no, he's not going from that angle. Hello? Exactly, that causes my daughter to rise a book in anger at me. He's not coming from it or at it from that angle. So they had reinterpreted the creation story to make Eve sound like a hero. But let's get this straight. As you look at this verse on the screen, I don't care how you read, in what way you read the emphasis of this, but if you understand the totality of Scripture and what happened in Genesis 1 through 3, I'm going to tell you that both of them sinned. It doesn't matter that one was deceived and the other chose. I ask you this, what's worse? Hello? They both disobeyed God. And I'm so glad it's Family Sunday because I have something to say to the kids for their parents. But I also have something to say to you old folks, you grown folks, about your relationship with God. Listen, it doesn't matter your reason. Disobedience is disobedience. Shoo, I got some amens on that one. Even from the sound booth, this is good. It's true. Kids understand that. It doesn't matter what you're reasoning for it. Disobedience is disobedience. It doesn't matter that Eve was the first one there and she listened to the serpent and was deceived. The Bible, if you read it, it actually says Adam was with her. 
He wasn't over like in the potato garden, you know. <laughs> oh, honey, uh, I've been talking to the snake. Why don't you come here and listen? No, it didn't go like that. They were together. Okay, you get the point? Disobedience is disobedience. I don't know that either of these are worse. They're both bad. One was deceived and the other willfully chose. So they both become transgressors. This is so important because where Paul is going is something you may not have thought of. He's correcting their theology, their understanding of the creation story. And that's why he talks about childbirth in a minute. Because that whole thing about like you ain't saved unless you've got a child is weird. <laughs> and, and like we got to talk through what that looks like and means, okay? So verse 15 seems odd because now he's, he's talked about prayer. He's talked about men, don't be afraid, don't be scared. You should lift your hands in church. Women, don't overdress. Don't make people feel bad the way, okay. Everybody needs to be quiet. Women included in this section. And then he has this statement about childbirth. So are women not truly saved until they give birth to a child? I have something to tell you. I've known couples who cannot have children who are believers who are going to heaven. So what exactly is he saying there? No, really, I'm asking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you what I believe I see after studying this scripture. After studying it and looking through it, I've come to see that Paul is saying that women will be spiritually preserved from Satan by adhering to their God-ordained roles as mothers and wives they should be understanding that God has ordained those roles related to the family and the home. This is contrasted immediately with verse 14 because Eve has gone around and not done that properly. She's transgressed those boundaries and fell into temptation. So here Paul is telling them, if you're living right, if you're going down the path of salvation in your life, there's something even deeper here. If you read the curse, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. If you read back the curse that's issued, the curse was, I'm sorry, Kathy. The curse was pain in childbirth. Miss Kathy is going to give birth uh, soon. <laughs> and um, I'm sure she's praying it sooner rather than later. But um, there's going to be pain involved. How many of you women had pain in your pregnancy or delivery? Okay, that's those who have been pregnant and had birth, okay? That's everybody. Even modern medicine has helped a lot, but it still hasn't completely reversed the curse. Are you listening this morning? Good. No, that's, that's okay. So that's good that we're listening. Here's what Paul is saying. Essentially, as a result of the curse and sin that caused the curse to come in, they can be saved as they walk out their salvation if they continue in faith and in love and in holiness with self-control. There was a bunch of other wacky stuff going on too, not only here, but also in Corinth. There were women who were married who were getting saved, and then they were making a proclamation that they were going to be celibate. 
that probably made some men pretty upset. And I'm sorry, it's Family Sunday. You'll have some splaining to do. But this is exactly what is taking place. So here he's saying, if you're one of those people that are giving in to this weirdness, you need to understand that God is going to save you. He's going to help you even through your childbearing. This is incredible when you think about the full context of scripture, that there's no Jew, no Greek, no rich, no poor, that Jesus Christ himself has reversed the curse. All the effects of it are not gone, but he has reversed the curse for those who accept his love and forgiveness. So a lot more could be said about this topic. In fact, whole books have been written. Scholars have devoted their whole thought and teaching um, either pro-women in ministry or anti-women in ministry. Um, there's a whole stream of thought on this hot potato passage uh, that really is still in the church alive and well today. And I would say it's even more alive and well down here in the southern region of America than I've seen it in the north we- northeast. And this is something that we should make sure that we correct so that we live according to how God's word actually states that we should. So I want to summarize for you the church's, our church's, biblical position on the role of women in ministry. And this also involves just women in general, but I want you to understand it in the context of what we're saying. There is also the issue of dominance that was brought up by Paul's letter in Timothy. Essentially, he's saying that there can be those who are called, but they can use it over other people, and they should not be like that. So the first is this, the first highlight or the understanding of our, our understanding of God's desire for women in roles of ministry is this. God makes no distinction, listen to me closely, regarding the function in the body based on gender. Now you may, your culture may, society at large may, but your church shouldn't if we're supposed to be doing ministry God's way. The second thing is this, if you're called and gifted, it's a sin to not live it out. It is disobedience. I believe that I've met, I've ministered with, and I know to this day wonderful women of God who have been called and gifted by God to lead ministries and churches. And it is a sin for you as a woman or as a man to disobey God's call. The third point is this. The supremacy subjection dynamic is a result of the curse. I know many well-meaning, godly couples, men and women, more along the lines of the older generation, that talk a lot about this. Well, I'm, I'm just submitting to my husband. Or they talk about it in a certain way that just gives this connotation. But you have got to understand If you are reading the Genesis account and you truly believe that God created male and female, it isn't until the curse that subjection and supremacy are highlighted. God's original design was mutuality, equality, and partnership. 
And it's hard to get back there, but we've got to see ourselves working in that direction. So the idea is God's original design was mutuality, partnership, and equality, which the redeemed church of Jesus Christ ought to exemplify. So there should be no distinction regarding the function that happens in the body. I love what Paul tells the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapters really like 10 through the end of the book. He talks about the body of Christ. We are all members of a body. Each one has a function. So God called you to the function you have. It doesn't matter your gender. There are only two. Okay, go back. Number four or number five is this. We condemn all prejudice and bigotry. You won't last long in a church like ours because we believe the Bible. I'm so sorry that sounded so salty. But we condemn all prejudice and bigotry. One of the highlights, and I say that with warm thoughts and warm memories in my mind. One of the highlights of my ministry as a pastor has been the years that I have been able to spend with Megan Goodson as our ministry coordinator, leading and developing leaders in our church. She's no longer in that role, but I can tell you, we as a church condemn all prejudice and bigotry. And you can talk to her later. Did she have some hurdles to to cross? Absolutely. I think you can look around and understand. Mr. Mike runs kids' church ministry. Mr. Mark runs production ministry. Pastor preaches but we have leaders who are female leading other ministries. You watched it happen this morning, and I'm so thankful for my wife. You saw women on our stage this morning. You know women are involved in all aspects of ministry here in the church and leading other ministries. So even when it comes to media, when it comes to greeters at the front door, first impressions, and those who help in that area as well, So we condemn all prejudice and bigotry, and you should stand strong against that. It does no good. I really believe this is from the Spirit of God for us as a church. It does no good for us to say, Jesus Christ changes your life, but he only does that internally, and you had better not show it outwardly. We've got to show that the curse has been removed. We really do. We have to be intentional about it. The next one is this. Worship team, you can come and join me. We allow women in all roles of ministry and believe it to be healthy and normative. I took a lot, I put a lot of thought into how to word this appropriately. And I do have some brothers, even in this community, that pastor other churches that do not view women in the role of ministry the same way that we do. So I have to be clear to make sure that you understand what we see in Scripture. We allow women in all roles of ministry because we really do believe it to be healthy and normative. And you can look at our church and see that there's a balanced ratio. I believe they can lead, and I believe God has gifted them to do so. I'm so thankful for my wife. She has not been called to pastor a church in the same function that I have. But can I just tell you, some of you women are the beneficiaries of one of the best women's pastors on the planet. 
give her give her a round of applause. It better be loud. She leads women and loves the women of this church like it's nobody's business. She is sacrificed in ministry to stick with me. She loves kids in ministry too. There are times that we've had some gaps in children's ministry and you know who's up early on a Sunday morning printing out coloring sheets and things like that for children in our church? It's my wife. She's been called and gifted by God. She has a passion to reach people. She may not preach every Sunday, but that does not negate the impact of what she does. Amen? So the same thing is true of you just because, and you may look at it and say, well, I haven't been called to like that full-time leadership position in a speaking role in a whatever, in a church setting like that. God has given you and gifted you something because all of us have something that we can use to serve Jesus with. Amen? The enormous challenge of the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. And it demands the full deployment of all of God's kids, whether they be male or female. You have a role to play. And we want to make sure that you understand that. In fact, I want to share with you something that the Lord dropped in my heart in the last minutes of developing this message. Acts chapter 2, verse 17 Of course, we love all portions of scripture, but I just love seeing where the promise gets fulfilled, y'all. It just blesses me. And when the giving of the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, comes on the church in Acts chapter 2, and there's some crazy supernatural things that begin to create, literally birth a church. The words of the prophet Joel from a hundred plus years before get quoted in this passage. And that's why the quote's there. It says this, In the last days it shall be that God declares, I will pour out my spirit on just men and just your sons and only your... No, that's not what it says. It says there, by the spirit of God, when the spirit comes, it's going to bless all flesh, men and women, that your sons and your daughters will prophesy that your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. It says, even on my male and female, listen to me, servants. Again, there's no distinction whether you were called to be a prophet or whether you're a poor girl working in the marketplace, you have access to what God is doing. And he says this, on those days, I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So don't you feel demeaned or degraded in a church because of your gender. You should know that God loves you and cares for you and there's a place for you in the body of Christ. Amen? Stand with me today. You say, Pastor, how are you going to close this service? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Because I thought I'm not speaking to a bunch of female pastors I'm not speaking in a, in a gathering of pastors at all. So what are you supposed to do with it? You're supposed to correct your understanding if it's been off. That's number one. But maybe you're a woman who has been called and gifted in ministry and you've been hurt by prejudice or bigotry. Today, I ask you to forgive 
to make a move in that direction today and say, God, forgive those who criticized me. I know I'm gifted. I know you've called me to fill in the blank, whatever it is. And yet I, I haven't been able to do that because of prejudice or bigotry. Lord, today I forgive. Maybe you're a man who's held on to the fringes of two places in scripture that say women are supposed to be here and I'm supposed to be here then you had better move on, sir, and get over that perspective because it is not correct according to God's word. So today is a real practical message, but I don't want to skip over the fact that there may actually be needs in your hearts and in your homes and in your jobs. And I want us to pray together in just a moment before I close, but I want us to commit ourselves today to see the body of Christ without distinction to not judge people based on their outward appearance, to not judge people based on their living circumstances or where they came from, their race, their gender, their financial capability or inability. Let's make a decision today. Lord, make sure my heart is pure and clean that I'm not going to be that person. So close your eyes and bow your heads with me. Father, it's my prayer that as we've talked about this hot potato issue, Lord, that I've communicated it clear enough that we would understand what your word truly says, that we've examined this strange passage in this specific scenario, but we've talked fully about what you desire for us. God, I do pray that you would help us correct our behavior, just like you were correcting behavior through Paul and Timothy in that church. I pray that you would help us correct our behavior at Celebrate Church and be a good example to our brothers and sisters who may see scripture differently. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Now, if you're here, I pray that you would still, or I ask that you would still keep your eyes closed. And you say, Pastor, I have a need in my heart or home. It's not about this message today, but I really need God to break through in some area of my life. Will you just slip up your hand? I just, I need you, Lord, in this area of my life. There's several hands going up. You can put them back down. I want to pray for that, for those needs today. And we're going to worship in this last song and be dismissed. Lord, I thank you that you're the God who sees and the God who knows. Lord, you know what our past looks like. You know what our current situation is and you know our future. I pray by the mighty power of God that you would reach down into each one of these scenarios, these places where we're struggling, the hands that got lifted today that said, I need the Lord in this area of my life. God, I pray that you would demonstrate yourself strong in those situations and do so today. Lord, wait no longer, I pray, but I pray that you would give answers to prayers as we pray them today. Lord, give comfort to those that need it, healing to those that need it, supply to those who lack.